us, if we're honest, we'll find, maybe we'll say, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't hate anybody, but I really dislike this. Okay, so, so we'll, we'll take the edge off, and we'll just use the really strong other language. You know, that it's not so bad. I just, I really dislike that. It's deadly. It's deadly. And envy is deadly. Envy is desiring what somebody else has. Desiring, in this case, somebody else's giftedness. Joseph ended up in a tragic situation, just as many of you have experienced or may be going through now. In a broken world, God still works. Where people bring evil, God brings good. Pastor Daniel's message today will be full of hope, even though the story of Joseph's betrayal by his brothers seems like a hopeless one. A savior who defeated death can overcome anything. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verse 1, with part one of his message entitled, Joseph. In the series that we're calling Brothers, if you remember, we did what we call the Patriarch's Mop-Up, where we looked at Esau and we looked at Isaac and and the end of their lives. And now the scene shifts to the sons of Jacob. And primarily, the narrative focuses on Joseph and Judah. These are the two main characters. Now, what's interesting is that Joseph gets, plays the most prominent role. But biblically, actually, Judah's the one who actually plays the most prominent role. And so, We're going to focus a lot, and we're going to look at Joseph a lot over the next bunch of weeks, but we have to remember that Joseph plays a huge part, but it's really Judah because by God's design, Judah, the fourth of Jacob's sons, ends up being the line through which Jesus the Messiah comes. So although Joseph gets heavy airtime in this last section in the book of Genesis, Judah ultimately is the most, not the most important son, but he plays the strongest role in the totality of Scripture. Now, before we even get into the Joseph narrative, I want to say this. Joseph is a picture or a type of Jesus. Almost every detail of his life is a foreshadowing in the Torah of the life of Jesus. He is a a brother who is rejected by his brothers. Because they did not want him to rule over them. He was sold into slavery for pieces of silver. Even though he was rejected by his brothers, he still rose to prominence and ultimately his brothers bowed down to him. It's a pretty powerful picture. So as we're reading and as we're studying the life of Joseph, we want to remember that Jesus is the truer and better Joseph. Joseph is a lesser picture of something even more profound that we see through Jesus. Now, we do believe that Joseph was a real man, so it's not just allegory. 
but it is a picture and we don't want, we want to place that right in the center of our hearts. So let's just jump right in. Genesis chapter 37, picking up in verse one, it says this. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now, verse 1 settles us once again that Jacob is now dwelling in the land of Canaan, which is the promised land, but it was a place where his father was a stranger. That idea plays in all through the Bible, the idea of being strangers or pilgrims. And we always have to remember that we are a pilgrim people. The people of God have always had a dual citizenship. And in a lot of ways, our eternal souls are just on vacation here now. We are pilgrims passing through. That's an important reminder for us because let's be honest, it's very easy to get very comfortable here, isn't it? And it's a, it's a phenomenal thing that we get to experience life and, and, and all that it entails, especially being alive in the 21st century here in America. There's lots of blessings to enjoy, but we have to always keep that pilgrim mindset. The reality that this place isn't our home, that our hope is not here, our ultimate abode is not here, and we want to enjoy and do well and serve the Lord while we're here. But this is not all that life is about. That we are strangers here. That we do not belong here. We should all have a healthy sense of homesickness for heaven. Because that is where we will be eternally with the Lord. And that doesn't mean we just get rid, I mean, we don't want to get rid of this life. But the reality is, is do we have a healthy homesickness to be with God so that we live in this portion of our race here on earth and we hold things with open hands? One of the things that keep us from being free to do that, all that God would have us do is oftentimes we want to hold on to the things of this world. We want to hold on to them because we need them. They're mine. We always have to remember that we are pilgrims passing through. And we want to pass through well. We want to enjoy what God has put in front of us, but we do not want to think of this as all there is. Because in his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, the Bible says. That is, that's really when we come home. That's really when we're home. So Jacob is a pilgrim. A stranger. Notice in verse 2, this is the history of Jacob. This is That word history is that word toldot, which if you've been traveling with us, that's that word genealogy. It's one of the markers of the different sections 
of the book of Genesis. This is the history or the genealogy of Jacob. Marking off the section. Goes right to Joseph. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhan, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. (laughs) If you have kids, or if you've babysat, or if you have nieces and nephews... Joseph was a little tattletale. That's exactly what that means. He was tattling on his brothers. They weren't, they were goofing off or whatever they were doing. And Joseph came back to dad and he tattled on him. And this is the beginning of the problems in Jacob. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Because look at verse three. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Huh. Do you notice that? Now, God changed Jacob's name, but yet Jacob still had a blind spot. He loved Joseph more than his other sons. Why? Because he loved his mother, Rachel, more than he loved Leah, more than he loved Zilpah and Bilhah. Rachel was the wife of his heart, the woman he wanted to marry. And so he treated Joseph differently. And when we read that, We could say, oh, Jacob, you know, he's got to get this thing together. But rather than just putting it on Jacob, maybe what we should do is say, God, what's my blind spot? Because let's be honest, don't we all have them? There's some area of our life. We love the Lord. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're like, Lord, my life is yours. But yet, maybe if you ask somebody close to you, hey, is there something in my Christian life? Is there some part of my walk that kind of belies or, or, or undercuts my testimony? And if we're really honest, we all have them. We all have blind spots where it's not that we don't love the Lord, but there's some area of our life that needs to get tweaked by the Holy Spirit. Jacob, I mean, could you imagine if he sat down and said, you know, hey, so what's my point? Well, listen, you favor Joseph. The whole story would have looked different. So let's ask ourselves, God, what's my blind spot? Lord, where in my life do you want to do a work? Because I do love you, Lord, and I want to honor you, but there's one thing that I'm just missing here. Jake's is that he favored Joseph. Not only did he favor him, but look at the end of verse 3. Also, he made a tunic of many colors. He gave Joseph a gift. Only Joseph. It was a tunic of many colors, if you remember you know, popular Broadway, um, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's like, you know, uh, whooped up neon style 70s of a tunic of many colors. He gave him a gift. It was, I mean, you can imagine Joseph in this, his brothers have regular tunics, but Joseph shows up and he's got some flamboyant, really colorful tunic. Like they're all looking kind of drab and he's all styly. And he obviously, he wore it as, as a badge of honor. My father gave me this. Look at this. In verse 4, when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. Because of Jacob's favoritism, now there's problems. Joseph, as we're going to see, in some ways creates some of these problems, but his father really set the stage for the problems. So as we continue in verse 5, now we get to Joseph the dreamer. 
Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please, hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around, and they bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall, we, shall you indeed reign over us? Shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. <laughs> I mean, this is like watching a train wreck in slow motion, isn't it? I mean, Joseph has this dream, and, and it was a prophetic dream. As we're going to see, this is actually going to happen. But really, Joseph doesn't realize, or maybe he does realize, that he just sounds boastful and proud. We were out binding our sheaves of wheat. I mean, they've been, they're doing this. It's an agrarian society. They're planting and harvesting wheat. And he's like, we all had our sheaves, and mine rose up, and yours all bowed down to me. I always think when I read this, I always think the same thing. I always think, you know, in a multitude of words, sin is not absent. Sometimes we just don't need to say certain things. And so, you know, I've always heard it this way. God has given us two ears and one mouth so that we'll listen twice as much as we talk. And you're saying, Pastor Daniel, you're the preacher, man. <laughs> but, but we have to be careful, don't we? Because even though it was true, Given the circumstances, it just didn't help the situation. It just exacerbated what was already a situation. And we find here his brothers, they're incensed by this. They're like, so you are going to reign over us? You're going to have dominion over us? They hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So Joseph is adding insult to injury. In verse 9, it's not finished yet. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. So now he has another dream, and this is a more celestial dream. There's stars, and there's the sun and the moon. All the hosts of heaven bow down to me. Now, it's interesting. In Revelation 12, 1, the nation of Israel is pictured as a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. It's interesting. If you read the book of Revelation, you will find 800 references to the Old Testament. It's fascinating. It's a conglomeration of all these Old Testament pictures that come together. But he dreams this dream, two dreams he has. It's interesting, in a few chapters, we're going to find that Pharaoh has two dreams. Why? Because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter will be established. That's why you have four Gospels. There's four Gospels in there because if you have one eyewitness, you could say, well, they just saw it wrong. If you have two, then maybe you can't say it. And by the time you have three, in a court of law, three witnesses tell a pretty powerful story, don't they? Kind of an undeniable story. 
People always say, I don't, you know, four gospels. They share material. I'm like, look, if four of us were sitting up here and we just watched the worship service and we wrote down what we saw, we're going to have a lot of the same things. But hey, I'm going to notice that um, Eric Macias, who's playing guitar, wasn't wearing his headband. Now you say, well, Pastor Daniel, well, why would you notice that? I don't know. It's just what I noticed. Some of you are going to notice something else. Maybe a guitar aficionado will say, hey, Dan, he's playing a Gibson SG. Put that detail in. People notice different things, but everything would be the same except for slight details. That's exactly what our Gospels are. Tells the same story, but different nuances, different wrinkles, as true eyewitness testimony would tell you. If everybody said the exact same thing in the exact same way, you'd say, is that really eyewitness testimony? Or is that just people copying one source? Joseph has these two dreams, right? Now, it's interesting. He told it to his dad. And and what's interesting is that it says that Jacob rebuked him. Because Jacob realized the implications were that the whole family was going to bow down to Joseph. Which, what is interesting, is that it actually happens. It actually happens. God preserves Israel through Joseph because of Joseph's rise to power in Egypt. Now, notice, and his brothers envied him. Before we saw his brothers hated him. Hatred and envy are deadly. They're deadly. We have to be careful. We know that we have to keep our hearts with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life, Proverbs 4.23. Most of us want, and I think it was George Bernard Shaw who said, God created us in his image and we, we want to return the favor. Most of us believe in a God who hates the people we hate. But the Bible says that God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. God loves sinners. Who do you hate today? I hope nobody. Not only in sentiment, but in action. See, politics just really make people really weird. Really weird. It's like people who know they're supposed to love people just get all aggravated. And that's on both sides of the aisle. See, but we have to ask, do we hate anybody? And if we're really honest, all of us, if we're honest, we'll find, maybe we'll say, well, I'm a Christian, so I don't hate anybody, but I really dislike this. Okay, so so we'll we'll take the edge off and we'll just use the really strong other language. You know, it's not so bad. I just, I really dislike that. It's deadly. It's deadly. And envy is deadly. Envy is desiring what somebody else has. Desiring, in this case, somebody else's giftedness. Joseph is having these dreams. He's sharing them, and there's an envy on the part of their brothers. Would to God that we would root out the envy in our own hearts. That we would be content, Lord, this is what you have placed before me. It's not about how I stack up against somebody else. Lord, this is what you've given me. And Lord, what do you want to do through what you've given me? 
because we're so used to looking at other people, right? And being like, oh, I wish I had what they had. And as the old proverb goes, if the grass is greener on the other side, it's because you're probably watering the wrong lawn. So rather than, that's a good one, right? You like that. That'll preach, right? You guys are writing that down like, hey, that's a good one. But think about it. If the grass is greener on the other side, you got to start watering your own lawn. Not the lawn of what you're not, what you don't have, but Lord, this is what I do have. This is what you've given to me. Envy is deadly. Now, at the end of this here, notice verse 11, his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. This is very fascinating to me because when you read that, and then you think about the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, verse 19, speaking of Mary, the mother of Jesus, it said, but Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. You get it again in Luke 2, 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them, but his mother kept all of these things in her heart. Now, I bring this up because this is one of the universal differences between men and women. Men keep things in their mind, and women keep things in their hearts. Now, why do I bring that out? Because in 12 years of being a senior pastor, what I have learned is that most women want their husbands to be coming more from their hearts, more feelings and emotionally based. And most men want their wives just to think before they feel. Nobody laughed about the guys, but they laughed about the women. I wonder why that is. But really what it shows is that in a lot of ways, God has wired men and women differently for a reason. But what God wants to do in each one of our hearts is for women, he doesn't want your emotions to run the show. He wants you to take those thoughts captive if they're not of Christ. He wants to move women, in a sense, from being ruled by their heart emotions. And instead of just reacting on emotion, they need to preach to themselves the gospel, which hems them in. And in the same way, you guys, God wants you to get out of your noggin, and he wants you to start to feel again. God wants you to get choked up when your wife walks in the room. He wants you to gush on her a little bit. And sure, it feels weird. And it's much easier to, to memorize, you know, box scores of your favorite sport. But God's in the process of transforming men and women from the ways that our characters are fallen into the image of Christ. But it's so fascinating to me that it says, Jacob thought about these things. He kept these things. He was processing it. But the other reason I bring that up is because for you, husbands and wives, future wives, future husbands... Give each other grace. You husbands, when you find your wife is just being really emotional, just remember, you know, Mary kept those things in her heart and love her right where she is. Jesus is real. Joseph's brothers hated him, not only because he was Jacob's favorite, but because he also told his brothers of dreams where he ruled over them. Not only did they envy Joseph, but they hated him as well. 
which only can lead to destruction. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Hey, everybody. Pastor Daniel Fusco here of Jesus is Real Radio. I got some special news. I'm so stoked. My new book called Honestly, Getting Real About Jesus and Our Messy Lives is available on pre-order right now. You might say, why'd you write the book, Daniel? Well, simply because this. Life is messy, but Jesus is real. And we need to talk honestly about both sides of that coin. So get the book now. It's available on pre-order at honestlybook.com or wherever books are sold. I can't wait for you to read it. God bless you. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will take us through what happens when Joseph's brother's hatred takes root and they take action. Although the story is bleak, we know that God's hand is still at work. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Brothers. Until then, may God bless. Yeah.